Hello, and welcome to another episode of Under the Radar SFF Books Podcast. My name is Blaze. Thank you so much for joining me and listening to wherever you may be around the world. If you like the content I create, please hit that like, subscribe button, follow, and retweet. It really helps me grow as a podcast creator and also as a person. Today, I wanted to do a series overview of one of my favorite series in the world. That is John Gwen's Faithful and the Fallen. Now, Faithful and the Fallen cannot be described as under the radar, to say the least. When I first read it in 2012, until pretty recently, it be considered an under-the-radar series, but no longer. The reason I wanted to go into the series and give an overview and explain why it's my favorite series is because, I don't know if any of you have been following what's been happening through Twitter and social media with the Gwen family, but... Unfortunately, they suffered a very tragic loss to a close family member, and it's just crushing, and everyone on Twitter, including myself, have expressed our condolences to the Gwen family. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to give an homage to the Faithful and the Fallen and the Gwen family to um, hopefully lighten their spirits and just explain why this series is so special to me and why I think everybody should read it. It's definitely one that I believe will withstand the test of time. I actually just did a reread of it earlier this year, and it's even better the second time around. So hope you uh, are strapped in. This is going to be a review of The Faithful and the Fallen, and I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. The Faithful and the Fallen is a four-book epic fantasy series, and the first book, Malice, is the debut novel for John Gwen. Now, John Gwen never intended for this series to be published. He said so himself on many occasions that he wrote it initially as um, like bedtime stories to tell to his children, um, and just telling them the adventures that just popped into his head when he was um, thinking of writing. It wasn't until I believe it was 2010 when he started writing like the series full full out. He gave it to a friend to look at. Says it was said it was not bad, and then decided to try and publish it. Then uh, it was bought by Pam McMillan, and then turned into the series that it is today. So it's just really happenstance and good fortune that it was even brought to light in the first place. And I'm so glad it did because it turned into my absolute favorite series. And I know a bunch of other bloggers um, it's their favorite series as well the main themes of this series can be broken down to its simplest form of good versus evil but it's a lot more complex than that especially when it comes to character development their choices and the world building and how it affects the surrounding environment so 2,000 years ago there was a prophecy stating that a champion would be chosen for each side now the side of good is that of the Ben Elam And that champion is going to be known as the Bright Star. Conversely, on the other side, the followers of Asroth, known as the Kadoshim, that champion would be known as the Black Sun. And there's certain events that happen in this book towards the beginning that signal that the prophecy will be coming to life. And that's just the main theme to keep in mind for the background uh, story. So, But the main focus on The Faithful and the Fallen is going to come down to characters and the combat in these scenes as well. So with that, let's talk about these characters. And I'll only be talking about the characters in Book 1, Malice. So no need to worry about potential spoilers for the rest of the series. So the main character in this book, I would say, is Corbin. Now, Corbin is a teenage boy. Uh, living in the region of Ardan and close to the giant fortress of Duncrin. 
Now, throughout the land, it's called the Banished Lands, there are older fortresses built by the giants, which have since migrated north into remote parts of the land, and they have since been occupied by man and humans. So, Corbin, he, like I said, he is a teenager. He is waiting for his chance to enter into the um, Long Night and join the King's Guard, or military, I should say. He is in training to become a knight, but he is also the focus of attention for other bullies, such as Rafe. Uh, actually, one of the first chapters in uh, Malice, we see a confrontation between Rafe and Corbin, and it forces Corbin's older sister, her name is Cywin, to interfere um, and kind of save the day for Corbin, and this becomes a big point of contention because if any boy wouldn't want his older sister to interfere on his behalf makes him look a little bit weak but they love each other and they quickly get over it so that's a great uh, relationship to keep in mind throughout the rest of this series. Corbin's character development throughout Malice is not one of a tragic event happens and he has to grow up and face everything head on. It's very gradual throughout the rest of the series. So he starts off he's in training he, he's learning all the combat skills from his teacher who his name is Hallian and he's learning the ins and outs of becoming a knight he puts in the hard work he's not just given like a blank slate or for like magic or for just growing and it doesn't make any sense throughout the novel everything given to Corbin is earned and it is not something the author just writes in just for the sake of progressing the plot John Gwen is not that type of author and on that same note John Gwen's writing style is very um straightforward it's what you see on the page, it's just progressive writing. There will not be huge info dumps. There will not be excessive um, references to historical events. It's just very fluid, and it's going to be very uh, reader-friendly. Um, the, the more you get into the series, the more you grow to appreciate his writing style. The next character we're going to talk about is Corbin's sister, Cywin. She is the older sister, and she's a little bit of a protector. Cywin also lives with Corbin and their two parents, their uh, father is the blacksmith, and the mother is kind of a kind of like a housewife, but she helps around uh, with other parts of the um, neighbors and the castles and stuff like that. So, Cywin wants to be more than just a you know a stay-at-home wife taking care of the house, taking care of the kids. She's very skilled with uh, daggers, and she shows off that skill when she's rescuing Corbin from Wraith in like the first two chapters of the book. Cywin is a very brave character, a very aggressive character, and a very strong one and someone you want by your side, but you can have the propensity to be deceived and tricked. You will see throughout the series that she doesn't always know who to put her trust in, and she is constantly second-guessing herself. It deals with very hard decisions that she has to make and what ultimately her ultimate goals will be. The next character to discuss is Evnis. Now, Evnis is a person who is on the side of the bad, so to speak. He is like an assistant to the High King Brennan, who is the king of Ardan, where, where Corbin and Cywin are. And Ebnis's chapters offer insight into the plans of the quote-unquote bad side of the conflict. His chapters are not necessarily the best of the series or even of Malice, but 
there is motivation behind why he's doing what he's doing, and it's revealed in Malice, and it's kind of heartbreaking to tell you the truth, what his motivations are, especially him and his son, I believe his name is Vaughn. So just pay close attention to his chapters, and you'll see exactly what Zhang Wen's motivations are for writing this character and putting him right into the fray. The final character I want to discuss is so happens to be my favorite character in the series, and his name is Veritas. Veritas is the third son of the High King of Ripa, which is in the south of the Banished Lands. He is asked to be the first sword for Prince Nather. Now, Nather is the son of the High King Aquilus, and when news comes of all these prophecies coming to fruition and it reaches the High King, Prince Nather takes it upon himself to prove that he is the quote-unquote bright star and he goes off on a mission to the east with Veritas and his army Um, and here's where we see a majority of the combat in this book now John Gwen's combat is very visceral it's very gritty it's very real he goes into all the details from the footwork of the soldiers to the placement of the swords to the armor and how it's worn to the terrain and what the best strategy is for getting an advantage. John Gwen's able to do this because him and his sons do Viking reenactments. So he knows firsthand knowledge on uh, ancient uh, strategy and how placement works with swords and shields and armor, kind of like the Crusades type of thing. And this is top-notch, probably the best combat writing I've ever found in a fantasy book. And if you are a big fan of this type of writing, I highly recommend picking this up so you can witness this. Now back to Veritas. Veritas is very loyal. He's loyal to a fault. And he kind of doesn't see the real uh, person that Nether is trying to be. He Nether will stop at nothing to achieve his goal. He There's no stone left unturned he won't go over. There's no one he won't crush. There's no one he won't step on. And it really takes a toll on their relationship so but veritas he is so loyal and he's very prideful and he just grows on you throughout the rest of the series and it's really heartbreaking the kind of things that you see happen to him and you just want to reach into the pages and just give him a hug sometimes also included in the prophecy are the seven treasures now the seven treasures are ancient weapons that were forged by the giants for, from the Star Stone. And these weapons, I'm not going to get into what exactly they are, but they'll play a huge role coming not only in Mouse, but the rest of the series. And the prophecy says that the Bright Star or the Black Sun has to gather these items to achieve the prophecy's fruition, so to speak. Uh, and just learning about what the weapons are and what uh, impact they have and what races control them and how they were acquired them is really fun and each one has a separate ability so that's really interesting as well apart from the weapons we get to see bandits throughout the lands and there's a couple of characters who we get to follow in those groups we also get to see animal companions um Probably my favorite animal companion of any story I've ever read is in this series, and I'm not going to get into it, but um, it'll just melt your heart, the interactions that some of the characters have with these animal companions on both sides of the conflict. It's not just for good, or it's and not just for evil, so pay attention to those. John Gwen's writing reminds me so much of one of my favorite classical writers, David Gemmell. 
He is well known for his heroic fantasy and flawed characters, and that is exactly the type of characters that Zhang Wen writes. They're characters you can root for, they're characters you care deeply about, but they're flawed in some way, just like any human is flawed in one way or another. And he teeters the very fine edge of like a classical fantasy novel and teetering on the knife's edge of grimdark. It never crosses that boundary, but the battle scenes and some of the choices are very grim, they're bloody, and some of them, it might make your stomach a little unsettled, but it'll never cross the barrier into like a Joe Abercrombie or a Mark Lawrence. So if you like a little bit of grit and you like a little bit of war and like a little bit of swordplay in your books, then this is for you. Magic, there is magic in this series, but it's never gone completely overboard. It's more into the background, and it's not like a hard-set magic system like a Stormlight Archive or like a Mistborn or anything like that. So if you're a reader who loves magic systems and is interested in all the different aspects of it, then this may not be a series for you, but just know that it is there. This is 100% a world-building epic with characters and prophecies. Now, when I say prophecy... Um, people get the wrong idea that this is something bad or something that it's done so many times before. John Gwen puts his own little twist on this prophecy that will be revealed later in future books. But just keep that in mind. It's not going to be um, set in stone. It's not going to be fleshed out. It has its own life, and it plays a big role into the choices of the characters and how the story progresses. So nothing is as it seems, and that I can promise you from rereading the series more than two times. Although The Faithful and the Fallen is my favorite epic fantasy series, I admit that Malice, the first book in the series, definitely has first book syndrome. You can tell it's the author's debut novel. It's a very slow start. Uh, the first, I'd say, probably 200 pages is um, just building up the, the world and the characters uh, for the big events to follow. And it's not till about the halfway point where things kick into hyperdrive and the plot and the pacing really start to pick up. So I acknowledge that the intro to this series is doesn't hit the ground running and it's a big slow burn build up for the first half, but it quickly changes at least the second half of Malice and definitely into Valor. So if you're um, a reader who likes like fast pace and you like action and stuff, Stick with it, and it'll get there, I promise you that. And the final thing I want to discuss about John Gwen's debut series, The Faithful and the Fallen, are his surprises and shocking moments. Malice has several of these type of events, and it only increases the further you go along in the series. And it never feels cheap. It never feels like you're throwing something shocking in just for surprise and shock value. That's not the type of author John Gwen is. All the buildup and all of the twists makes sense, and it's never forced on the reader. Um, you will care deeply for these characters as much as I have. You will care about the plot. You will care about the events taking place. You will care about the surrounding kingdoms and how the species interact with each other. And it's just a riveting read and one that I can't speak highly enough about as it has changed the way I look at fantasy. Just to give you an idea of what happened, I first read A Game of Thrones and then I saw Malice on, I believe it was Mark Lawrence's Facebook page, and I saw the cover. For those of you who have not seen the cover, it just says um, Malice, and it's just a big sword with like a wolf um, head on the top of the sword on the, on the hilt. So what happens is I saw it, I immediately wanted to buy it, I did, 
And I read it all, I'd say, in probably three days. That's how gripping it was to me, and it continues to be that gripping all these years later. It is one of the stories that stuck with me when I finished it, especially some of the middle books. Um, I won't get into spoilers there, but just knowing that some of those endings um, will stick with you for a long time. If you're an epic fantasy junkie like myself, and you're just looking for the next thing to read in the same vein as Game of Thrones, this is the perfect place to start. Since I've joined the book reviewing community, the popularity of this series and John Gwen as a writer has only risen and risen to exponential proportions, and this is where it all started. This is how he made his bones in the writing community, and it is just filled with love and grit and beauty and courage and oh I just it makes me want to reread this right now just talking about it so for all for those of you read the series and for those of you who are looking to read the series I will end it here with the saying truth and courage not everyone knows what that means and if you don't I don't know what you're waiting for so with that I will sign off from here thank you so much for listening and of course cheers